0: Question, in 20 years, will we still be doing this or will we have been canceled? Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Fly over
1: country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff.
2: And first off, thanks to the flight attendant on the recent flight for Scott Jennings who kept him in line and kept all of us safe. No, 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 start. Don't, start, don't get me started. It's flyover country, I and feel it's like Scott James. I feel like
0: 90% of these shows yes. get, get consumed with me for about 90 seconds on a rant.
2: It is flyover country. I heard the airline go off, and I couldn't help but, to but talk it, about it. But it
0: is true. But now that I'm wound up, it <laughs> is true. I was in numerous airports, and I was harassed. Harassed by someone on a plane about a mask. I was wearing my mask. He was drinking coffee. <laughs> I was wearing my mask and still got harassed about it. And still to this day as we record what day is this as we record this as we record this it is wednesday
2: march 9th 2002 we're recording at 9 32 p.m eastern basically
0: the entire civilized world has given up on masks except the airport where they're still giving a speech that threatens you that it says if if you don't wear a mask you may never be allowed to fly again we're still threatening people
2: so you have flight attendants and of course you have a a certain sector of teachers who are also very concerned about this. By the way, I'm Joe Arnold. I'm your roundtable host. Uh, Scott is here. We've heard him. Jared Crawford, hello. The Joe? J-Man is here. And, and Kevin Grout. Grouty is Welcome here. Back. I'll and tell you Jared. something
0: else. I've been yeah. in a number of hotel rooms. They're still putting... They're still putting the a remote control for the TV in a plastic bag.
2: Now I was in a hotel in Nashville uh, over the weekend, the last couple of days, and there was no plastic bag for really? the remote control. I, it was. I said,
0: "Freedom." <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I'm trying to remember where I was. I think I was in Orlando. I went to Orlando and I was there for a night, and I was. It was a lovely hotel, and the thing was in a plastic bag. I'm like why? Why Governor are we DeSantis doing this?
1: After he's done yelling at those kids, he'll yeah. talk to this hotel. That's so we are in a flyover country. And,
2: and this is a kind of a, a kind of a, a repeat of sort of when we first launched a few months ago. And and in addition to Scott's interviews with luminaries across the political and cultural spectrum, we have these weekly roundtables as well. And I always see this as an opportunity for us, knowing that there are folks listening on the coasts and in the on the in the Beltway. To kind of reflect about you know at least one set of people yep. here in the flyover country and what's going on. I will tell you that um, big big shocking news in Louisville, Kentucky, and that is the uh, local public school district, which is a big one. Kind of a they have uh, as opposed to kind of carved up in, in a big county. It's all one big consolidated district, uh, about a hundred thousand students. They are going uh, mask optional as of Thursday, and there is quite the. Um, the the response by some teachers online about concerned about their their safety.
1: I give this a week. It should have happened a long time ago but I, I think that they're going to flip flop right back.
0: You do And the school board voted four to three to give the superintendent the authority to do it and then he then used that authority to go. Now by the way, most we should tell people most surrounding school districts, if right. not all have exactly right. have several days or weeks ago gone to mask optional. So this is the holdout, but this is the, this is the bastion of power for the teachers' union here in Kentucky. The Jefferson County Teachers' Union is the most powerful union, I guess, in the state, really, right, in some
2: right. ways. So we had some, we had some seminal moments in the last couple of months. You had the Super Bowl— Largely mask-free. Yeah, you had the State of the Union mask-free, and and Joe Biden whispering very closely into many people's ears and hairs, and um, <laughs> <laughs> which is true. I mean, I'm just saying. But what I'm saying is it, it, it's it's hard then to kind of to claw this back and say no, no, it's time for us still to do this if this is all you're seeing. So I was at the largest um, convention, if you will, in in, in that Nashville has had since COVID, Mm -hmm. like so the biggest one in in two years eight thousand people yeah just got back from there not a single well maybe one mask i mean there was i mean i think it was somebody was working at the hotel but i'm Mm -hmm. telling you it was and it was what's crazy about it to me is the fact that and of course i've already kind of been living mask free and sort of like post-covid for maybe eight months myself but that said i i didn't once look around and think to myself oh my gosh like I thought I might at some point. So I can't believe that it's 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 free again. It was just it just felt normal.
0: You know, it's interesting. You you brought this jog of memory. So i so after I went to Orlando, I then went to Boca Raton and went to a resort there to give a speech, a corporate speaking engagement. And when we checked into that, nobody that was checking in or that was there, I didn't see a single person with a mask. However, the two people who were working the the front desk area where I was checking in actually were wearing masks. And then I went up to the restaurant later, and the the uh, young lady who was managing the restaurant did not have a mask. So it was, it was interesting. I, and I, I was actually, now that I think about it, I wonder if it was mandated for the front desk and not for everybody, or if that was personal choice or what. I'm not sure.
2: I will say, and going back to uh, last week's episode briefly, because Sean and I kind of got into it a little bit, I don't think that anyone... And he's should... not here to defend himself. <laughs> That's so true. He, even better. <laughs> By the way, happy birthday, Sean. It That's is Sean's said, birthday. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I personally do not think that anyone who chooses to wear a mask should be shamed. If you have a reason and you believe you need to wear a mask, I think that's fine. Uh, but you know, no one, and at the same time, no one should be shamed for not wearing a mask. Let's just let people be people and move on. That includes if a teacher wants to wear a mask, if a kid wants to wear a mask at school, that's fine. But the
0: teachers in this case that since to go back to where we started, yeah. they, they don't, they don't want the choice. That's right. They want the right. mandates. Right. And, uh, and to your point, Kevin, uh, you know, if you go mask optional, there are going to be people who don't want to do it, and there's going to be enormous amounts of interpersonal pressure put on. I think both teachers and students.
1: And I appreciate this message coming from you, Joe. But there, there are leaders at the CDC who are preaching a very similar thing. It's a, it's a personal choice issue now. There was no personal choice issue on masking a year ago. I don't, I don't know if I trust it from those people.
2: And, and to your point, we'll see how it all changes here right. in a week, a month, or whatever the case uh, might be. So that, that's that's going on in that regard. Of course, we can't help guys but talk about. Um, the maddening uh, unfolding of events in Ukraine and, and Russia. We're going to get to oil and gas here in a minute, but just in terms of the fecklessness of the United States and, and the fact that we have already kind of, of, of limited what our options are, which I appreciate from a, you know, not wanting to go to nuclear war point of view, but at the same time, it is, as a superpower, as a citizen of a superpower – you just don't want to feel like you're. You're just all you can do is just watch and hope.
1: Right. We're obviously all hoping and praying for the Ukrainian people every day, but then you see these images of the Russians attacking a maternity hospital mm. and the the gruesome civilian casualties all across the country, and you wonder what what should be being done. Um, and I, I think Poland is is making noise that they're trying to like. Do what Zelensky wants and like send him ammunition, send him these send him Mi- airplanes, send him these Mig airplanes. So, so, so yeah. there, these
2: are these are Soviet fighters, Migs, and of course, and the, the, the Ukrainians know how to fly them. They do right. because they're, right. they're, they're all, all former yeah. Soviet and Latvia is the same way. They, they're you know former Soviet bloc or, or associated with that. So that's why they have these Migs, and the, you know the trade they wanted to work out is that hey U.S., you send us some American fighters after this is all said and done. We'll send our MIGs over to Ukraine. But apparently, because originally Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, indicated a, oh, okay, it was this fine. is it was right. fine. And then something happened behind the scenes where, and, and the way I can, and, and, you know, I'm obviously not a diplomat and don't know all the, the vagaries of it, but the way I understand it is that the the possibility of it being perceived as the that, that neighboring country of Poland uh, actually, like launching an attack from their, you know, if a Ukraine fighter, in other words, if they, if they ship the Ukraine pilots over to Poland and they fly the MiGs from Poland to Ukraine, that still would be an invitation to Putin to bomb Poland.
0: I, I have to say, though, it's like to me, just, just I'm just I'm not a military strategist. I don't, you know, the as you pointed out, the the diplomatic ins and outs here. But I mean, we're currently sending the Ukrainians all sorts of lethal weaponry.
1: And soon, billions of dollars. Yeah, right.
0: uh, in which, the new, which, in the bill, the Spain Which By the way, right I, I can only imagine Hunter Biden is somewhere like <laughs> at those chops, like fourteen billions going to be floating around the Ukraine. Let me add it. But 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 on the weapons, I mean, we're sending them javelin, javelin. missiles, right. and I mean, we are giving them all kinds of things that are all, allowing them to kill Russians, blow up their vehicles, and wage actual war. So I, I'm having trouble sort of understanding the difference of, we'll give you these weapons that kill Russians, but somehow if we give you these weapons, it's different and it's worse. And I don't, I mean, I don't understand the difference. I, I don't get it.
1: And the result is two things. First, the Ukrainian people are less able to defend themselves. And second, it makes NATO look fractured. It put us on the opposite side of the table from our allies, which is what Vladimir Putin has wanted all along.
0: And, and third, it, it keeps the um, it keeps the imbalance on in this war. I mean, right. without air right. supremacy, right. the Ukrainians can't stop things like maternity wards right from being bombed. And and it's a it's a tragedy. And if we, I mean, you, we we should talk about this because I've had a lot of conversations with people all across my different you know facets of my life, and I've heard a lot of different opinions, and I, I'm really sensing you know, contradictory uh, impulses from people, on the one hand, who are sick to their stomach about this, and on the other hand, do fear, you know, uh, escalating war, and, and I think people don't know how to resolve it just yet.
3: Yeah, I said this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, that there's there's really no issue in which we kind of abdicate that responsibility of understanding it more than these sort of foreign affairs type issues, and it still feels like there's not, like, one voice, there's not one plan, we're bearing the brunt of this war, and the, and the gas prices, seemingly, but... We're also not advancing or doing anything that's helping. I mean, it's it's strange seeing sort of both uh, both problems coming at us. I mean, I feel like American people are have no understanding of where this is going. If it's getting worse, if it's getting better, we're dealing with high gas prices. But it seems like things – I mean, it's just – I think it's you, – you don't know sort of how to feel about
2: it. Right we'll get now. to have the gas prices in the middle, but I will say that I don't think that we're necessarily bearing the brunt of it. I think – the right. rest of Europe and especially the far farther east you go in Europe is certainly bearing the bigger brunt yeah. with the refugee crisis and, and, oh, and th- things like that. It's I read awful.
0: just before we went on the air tonight, I like thirty five thousand people were evacuated out of one city in Ukraine. I mean, you think about that. But well, you have you even know, more than a million. I mean, you have right. basically,
2: and look at Poland and um, uh, Hungary and you know other uh, nations along the way, and they're absorbing much of this. But there is a limit at some point. But you know, I think the, the but the other frustrating thing about all this, and this is just the. I mean, and we, we said a couple weeks ago, too, about you know about the president, we, regardless of what you think about the policies, whatever else, we still want the president to succeed, especially in foreign policy, right. representing our, our country. And when you just – at least for me, when I – I have doubts whether – back to your point, Jared, is whether – do we have a strategy? It just seems yeah. to be kind of like oh, we're being led by other people, and Putin – has dictated every element of this and it's just a matter of how to what degree we are willing to respond and up until this point it's been and maybe some people would say well thank goodness so I can just hear some say thank goodness it's not Trump because Biden is going to be measured and conservative and being very reluctant to do anything to provoke but at the same time you, you, Putin looks pretty provoked on his own. Right, <laughs> he right, doesn't right. Need our I mean, help. <laughs> but but he is dictating everything. At some right. point, you want to you want to turn you want to turn that table and say we're going to dictate the terms of this. Well,
0: I mean, what is our strategy? Our strategy is hope—hope hope right. for this to end someday. But but what's the old saying? The- hope is not a strategy. Hope is not a strategy. Putin's in charge of the timeline here, right. and to some extent, the brave Ukrainians are in charge of the timeline. How long can they hold out? And we're you said this before, Joe. We're sort of narrating it, you know. We're we're reporting every day what we see, and our intelligence says this, and our military thinks that. But we're just kind of narrators, now. Yes, we've sent weapons, and yes, we're sending money and, and aid, and thoughts and prayers
2: and all that. But at the and, end and of the... Ag-
1: pretty
0: aggressive sanctions. Let's not. But
1: but that's had n-
0: literally no deterrent effect whatsoever.
2: Because Putin doesn't care about the suffering of his own people or the number of soldiers that takes their lives that it takes to be able to. Because he has. He does have a strategy in the sense that he has a goal, and his goal is to basically take away the sovereignty of Ukraine, take away whatever territory that – you already saw it telegraphed before with Crimea and in yeah. the Black Sea. I mean this is what he wants, and he's going to do whatever it takes no matter how many civilian casualties, maternity wards, orphanages – hospitals hometowns his own soldiers, his own soldiers. exactly it does he has an inexhaustible supply
0: right I, I was I was um, discussing this with a with a friend of mine uh, actually just before the show and um, we were discussing just how terrible these images are you know there's that famous uh, picture now on the front page of the New York Times this week by the way they found the husband and who who was off in another part of Ukraine trying to settle his mother I think. And so his wife and his children die, and they're, you know now they're, their image is famous. But anyway, we were just discussing uh, how horrible this is and the fact that essentially the, 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 the Western world is just letting this happen. I, kn- I know we're standing with Ukraine, and we're, we have all these ancillary support systems. But at, at some juncture, we are allowing Russia to take over another country and to kill and slaughter civilians at will. We are allowing it. We are allowing it to happen because they aren't in NATO and I said, I think it's actually a pretty seminal moment in world history when you allow I mean, we have a United Nations supposedly for a reason, but it apparently is obsolete because we're allowing a member of the United Nations and member of the Security Council to to ignore all of the you know social contract that we've tried to set up among all these countries. And I just I just said, at what point is 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 there too much slaughter? We can't take it anymore and we have to confront these people. And he said, Whoa. We don't want to have nuclear war. And I said, but, but we've, already said, we've already said if he goes to a different country, a NATO country, we will fight. So I know we have a treaty, and I know we have these obligations. But functionally, as a real matter, what is the difference between confronting Putin over Ukraine in slaughter and confronting him over slaughtering people in a NATO country? I know we have a piece of paper. I know we have a treaty, and I know that's the way it works. But as a functional, moral, human matter, if you're not willing to risk nuclear war today, do we really have the guts to risk it a month from today if he crosses the line? And I'm starting to believe we may not. I'm just saying. I I know we say we do. I know we say we have this alliance. And I want to fight these people right now because I think they're evil and I don't like it. And I know we're not going to. But I'm just starting to wonder... Does NATO have the resolve? I mean, if he goes into one of the smaller, weaker NATO countries, what are we going to do? Will we really stand up?
2: I guess to Poland's credit to a degree is that they were inviting Russia to attack them by they're the ones who said, we want to send the big fighters over.
0: Yeah.
2: Now, interestingly, though, and I guess they don't want to give up their entire defense, nothing's stopping Poland from doing that. Was that what they want is an exchange with American fighters. In right. other words, they could, they could say, here, just take them. They could fly them over themselves.
0: It, it, this whole nuclear deterrent issue, though, and we haven't discussed this as a country in a long time. You know, it's been a long time since we had this right. sort of big national, and 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 a lot of people are out there today making the argument we just can't get any more involved because we're going to risk nuclear war. But Joe Biden is saying we will... Risk nuclear war, I guess, if he attacks a NATO country. But aren't all the same people today who are screaming about nuclear war? Aren't they going to be there a month from now, and they're going to say no treaty is worth global destruction? Aren't they going to say the same thing in a month or two months that they're saying today if Putin crosses the line? I mean, I don't. Maybe they won't, but I assume they will. Right. I mean, I, and that to me is the great next policy question.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do, if the United Nations means nothing if be if, if 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 holding russia accountable and allowing them to do this means nothing today what's going to make it mean anything tomorrow i just i'm worried about that
2: i guess i hope i'm wrong by right. the way but i'm worried about it i mean we don't know putin's state of mind but there's been way too many you know uh, forensics of of his appearances, and you saw the thing with the, the the flight attendants over there, where they think it's he's in front of a green screen, and they kind of superimpose them and this kind of thing. Because every other ever appearance that he's done with any of his generals have been twenty uh, feet away, well twenty yards they, away. I mean, were they, were
0: they were the flight attendants yelling at him about a mask? Stop it! Stop it! Stop it!
2: No. I just, I'm
0: just asking. I just want to know if they're as aggressive as ours. But my, 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 my question about the
2: thing about Putin is, is, is to what extent you can predict what his next action is? Because yeah. to your point is to say he's not going to stop at Ukraine.
1: Well, we, we, we've, we've,
0: I mean, this entire thing, in my opinion, was precipitated by his view that we didn't have the guts to stop him. Right. He saw what we did in Afghanistan. He saw the waiving of the sanctions. He saw the Democrats and Joe Biden stop the sanctions that the Republicans wanted to do in January. And he said, you know what? These people do not have it in them to stop me. I think he may have miscalculated on the overall PR of it. He probably didn't anticipate all the corporate pushback. Maybe he didn't anticipate the severity of the sanctions, although I have to believe he thought some of that was coming. But at the end of the day, he perceived weakness and an unwillingness to confront So if he has perceived that as of this moment, wouldn't he, I mean, he's slaughtering people in Ukraine, it's all over the news, we're not doing anything about it, don't you think there's a percentage chance in a month or two months or six months he's going to say, meh, they don't have it in them.
2: They don't have it in them. So, well, as I say, one other thing about as far as his long-term plans, this has been in the works for a very long time. I think some of his the. Disinformation and the meddling in the elections in the past were all part of this. The more Probing. exactly, Probing. the more that you can set us against each other in this country and have us mistrust each other, the more that he's going to be left to his own devices and do whatever the heck he wants yeah. over there. I guess my whole point about all this, though, is that I mean to understand. And again, I'm not saying you can trust Putin or the the you know whatever the the uh, the. PR agencies or things that isn't probed anymore. What is the what is the latest? I'm I'm still in Soviet world in terms of what they use for their uh, yeah. for their for their announcements. Anyway, you know, for them, it's been about the separatist republics protecting those those ethnic Russians who are there, and basically casting. Uh, Zelensky and the Ukrainians as, as Nazis, Nazis and as and, and this, this this regime, which is which needs to be overturned for the sake of the safety of that sector. Certainly, though, he also obviously doesn't want NATO's influence to be any closer to his border than what it currently is. So Ukraine is the ultimate buffer, you know, between Russia and the rest of Europe. And frankly, and back to your original point, Scott, we pretty much agree in terms of, we as a country, and, and, and the Western world pretty much agrees with that because we're not fighting. In other words, we are, we're saying Ukraine is expendable.
0: Yeah, that's exactly, we, we've already seeded this. Right. Like right. It's, I mean, we're saying we hope that the Ukrainians surprise us all and somehow drive out the Russians. Right. But we're also saying if they don't, they don't.
2: Exactly. It, and and, that, and that, that is the ultimate moral and geopolitical conundrum but that, is whether but, this, this has changed anything. But
0: the seeding of this ground, the, the preceding of this ground is what makes me wonder is Putin how is he gonna interpret this for the long term? Like look look at what they let me do. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I can't watch Netflix anymore. But look what they let me get away with here. And and I, I fear I fear a world in which not just Putin, but other other dictators will say, Well, he got away with it, maybe I can. I do think it's NATO is slightly different. You point out a lot of issues with the is United it? Nations. I hope
1: because, you're right. Because I, I'm a NATO the, supporter. I want you to be
0: right. I'm just concerned that the door is like slightly been right. cracked open that, that it, it might not be. And I'm worried about it. From the very beginning, the United
1: States has said no boots on the ground in Ukraine. And it seems like have, have seeded Ukraine, but at the, almost in the same breath, even in the state of the union, the president said, we will defend every inch of NATO territory. So he, he hasn't, Given anything away on that. There's problem.
2: a line in the sand, right? But the question is, to Scott's point, is that are we going to keep? I mean, Obama yeah. drew a line in the sand too in Syria, and that that changed.
0: Well, and, and, but, in, but, and, but, and but, not, but but it, understand why Biden said that up front. It was the political impulse to acknowledge the anti-war, sort of isolationist political vein that's been opened up in America. We're war weary for good reason, I guess. And we don't want any more foreign entanglements, and people want us focused on you know, inwardly right now. That's a strain running through both parties, by the way. And I viewed his statements on that as much as a nod towards the political aspect of it as anything. I mean, it's the same impulse that led him to precipitously pull us out of Afghanistan when it was completely and totally unnecessary to do it. It was the political impulse. Remember, I wanted to do it by nine eleven because I wanted to do it on the twentieth anniversary. That's a PR move. That's a political move. It wasn't a tactical move. Right. And so I, I I think he has said the right things on NATO. I agree, but I'm just I mean, if the if the stated reason of not fighting the Russians today is we don't want to provoke a nuclear war. Well, if we're going to fight him over NATO, when we might provoke a nuclear war, right?
1: Yeah, but that is the founding principle of NATO. And maybe, thankfully, in this situation, it's not just Joe Biden making the decision. It would be you know, Boris Johnson, the United Kingdom, France, Germany, other people who are recommitting to NATO as we speak. So even if maybe Joe Biden has to li- listen to his far left flank, I mean, there have been instances You know, Boris Johnson has been pretty good on this.
0: But you sound like you, Kevin, are confident. That Putin is going to respect the NATO line.
1: I I do think that it's going to be a harder line for him to cross. I mean, is that down. what you think? Jerry? I I, I also think he's a madman, and I'm not you know Jerry? saying he's going to be logical, but I think it's going yeah. to be harder for him to walk over the NATO line.
3: What, what Kevin just said there, it it worries me that we're putting our faith in Putin here, right? Like you're kind that's of that's my original point, and that's yeah. what you
0: said. Right. He's he, dictating the terms yeah, of this right. whole engagement, Where, and we're, we're basically hoping hoping that he thinks NATO. Uh, uh, is, too, is too strong to take on and not interpreting our moves as weakness, yes? It
3: feels like we're playing not to lose, right? You always talk about that in sports. We're in Indiana, the four corners. And, uh, and you cannot play not to lose. You have to play to win here. And when you're, you are the superpower, when you are the United States – look, if you're a small country, whatever. You stay out of it. You don't care. <laughs> you, you're sort of like, oh, you can't hopefully, you know? but when you are a superpower, when you are the United States, when you dictate these things on the global stage, you cannot play not to lose. And that's what it feels like our leaders are doing right now, both publicly and then sort of privately. I mean, too.
0: what are the NATO – what are the smallest NATO countries?
3: Croatia. <laughs> Montenegro.
0: Estonia. Uh, Latvia. I mean – In the eyes of the average American who doesn't want foreign entanglement, who doesn't want military conflict, who doesn't want us expending blood and treasure on this, do you—I know we have treaty obligations. Do you think they see a difference between Vladimir Putin in Kiev or standing in Estonia somewhere? Do you think the average American would see the difference in that?
2: I think it's just as far away. People look the same, and they all speak wonderful English. You know, I mean, it's it's, it's amazing. The uh,
1: uh, well, it's it's good just to before yeah. you move on that <laughs> Joe Biden doesn't seem to have any interest in what the average person thinks.
0: Well, I I see I disagree because I think there is a political impulse in him that is respond. I mean, for this guy's entire career, he's been an internationalist. Yeah. He's been you know an adventurist. He's been wanting you know American involvement around the world, and all of a sudden he can't get out of Afghanistan fast enough. All of a sudden he can't you know declare fast enough that there's no possible way uh we'll have any military engagement in the ukraine this is different for him and i think it must be a political response and 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 it's true there's a huge percentage of americans who want nothing to do with any of this and they don't see the utility in any of it
2: i do think though and if 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 past is precedent what we're going to see here ultimately is we're going to get dragged into something one way or the other because we've been dragged into everything else. I mean, I'm saying as we – the rest of the nation the, – the, the situation, Putin, Europe, uh, the, the Congress has all kind of pulled Biden along into doing more you – know, for instance, like the oil being released, for instance or, – or, I'm sorry, the oil being stopped from Russia and stopped buying that. He was resisting that, resisting that. He was the last that. one. Right. Right. It was just
0: like the masks. He's right. like literally the last person to the party. On. So
2: I'm, I'm, I'm guessing there are certainly plenty of hawks and people who say, if nothing else, let them have those MIGs. And I think ultimately they're saying no, and they've, they're backtracking. But I bet there's. I mean, Zelensky's going on there, and he's a cold hero yep. across the country saying, "We're fighting this alone." Help us, help us, we need these fighters. And so ultimately I think some of the PR might come back on the US and the rest of Europe in that regard as well. I don't know.
0: But this returns us to the conversation we had about what's the difference in giving these people MIGs and javelins. Like right. I mean, these are lethal weapons. And I look, I know there's all this like diplomatic, fancy footwork you gotta you gotta do here. But at some juncture, if you're Vladimir Putin, well, what's the functional difference to you? You've got NATO countries giving the Ukrainians Lethal weapons to kill my soldiers with. How, why would you interpret any of those things any differently, just because well, one's one's an airplane and one's a javelin? The
2: question is is whether we we're, we're, we're he's he's wanting to bait us. The question is is whether he wants to engage like that, and he's looking for every possible reason to do it. Hasn't he already said that he
0: considers the sanctions tantamount to an act of war?
2: I, I think that's the he's president. And by the way, this brings up one other uh, uh, development that happened on Wednesday, and again, Jen Saki. Uh, the White House press secretary, talking about uh, Russia's, as she says, false claims of alleged U.S. biological weapons labs and chemical weapons development in Ukraine. Yeah. What she's saying is this is a precursor of a false flag event and that, that ultimately that Russia then will either use chemical weapons themselves or will will step up their attacks. It's hard to believe they could step up any more than they already have, but this is the – this. is if I could – the, 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 what's con- what's concerning about this is, regardless of what you think about the Biden administration, they pretty much laid out the, the footprint of or the, the, the plan for what Putin was going to do, and he did it. So is this basically – we should expect a chemical weapons attack in the next three days?
0: Well, and if he does, what will we do? What is the line that he can cross in Ukraine that would actually change – American or NATO policy. Come to here.
2: think of it, I guess that was when. Is I mean, there a line? Well, I'm, 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 I mentioned Syria before. Wasn't that the Hafaz Assad? Wasn't that the the the, right. the 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 final straw that made Obama send in missiles then? I mean, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I'm trying to remember. Didn't we? That was his line
1: in
0: the sand that he let everybody walk all well, over.
2: Yeah. Okay, all right. I'm, I'm revisionist history right. here. But, then, but, <laughs> but
0: but does the but is the act of chemical warfare here like would it be so horrific that okay. the American people would say, you know what, we're willing to risk it. We're They're... willing to risk it. And 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 for Joe Biden, I mean, it's. Look, I, I, I'm like you, Joe. I'm cheering for American success on the world stage. I, I, you know, I don't want bad things to happen to the United States, its alliances, our allies. Uh, and I don't want bad things to happen to the Ukrainian people. But for us to stop these bad things from happening, political will would have to change. And I'm just thinking about what are the kinds of catastrophic things that could possibly cause that sort of change in public opinion? Chemical weapons could be, but you know to the uh, to the mothers and the babies who were laying under the rubble of that maternity ward as we sit here and record this podcast there's not much of a difference in being killed by a, a missile attack or a chemical weapons attack i mean both are as horrific cuz you're dead either way
1: it might be an attempt by the biden administration to start laying the groundwork because i you've heard secretary blinken out talking about War crimes is that we believe that they're committing war crimes. We're documenting. We're going to send in the paperwork to somebody, apparently. But they're out there talking about it. And again, with the chemical weapons, they're out there talking about it, ginning up the specter. I,
0: how, how much of, of, and this is a question for all of you, because I've been sort of contemplating this since the news broke, that the Biden administration is negotiating with Venezuela, Iran, mm-hmm. and trying to talk to Saudi Arabia, but he can't get to Saudis on the phone. So he's talking to, he, He's talking to like these terrible uh, dictator-led regimes about oil output, but the Russians are, I guess, our intermediaries in talking to the Iranians. And so not only has Biden tied our hands militarily with public statements about no military involvement, but at the same time, they got us a little bit over a barrel in this deal with Iran, right? And so for Biden, his hands are tied by his own public statements his hands are tied by the political impulses of the American people, which he's already kind of given into on Afghanistan and other places, and now they're a little bit tied in terms of using the Russians to talk to the Iranians. And I, so back to your point about chemical weapons, does Vladimir Putin know? He's basically got us right now by the political short hairs, and there's not a damn thing
2: we'll do about
0: it. And that's that is a huge
2: fear of mine. I was I had to look it up, and I, I'm sorry for my my. Uh uh my my error before about obama it was trump that ordered an attack on the yeah. airbase in central syria after a chemical weapon And the story attack. was like
0: didn't it wasn't the story that like ivanka trump like got the pictures of how of the aftermath of the chemical weapons and took him to the oval office and basically they were so moved by the absolute you know human tragedy of it that they fired crew it's just early on in the presidency and after by the way running a pretty isolationist campaign you know, he's like he's lobbing cruise missiles into Syria. I mean, it, you know, I mean, it was a pretty hawkish move
2: back to oil in a minute. But for those folks listening to fly over country with Scott Jennings, 20 years from now, because I know the Library of Congress will have this archived and we'll be able to listen to this. I'm just curious about no listening to it. We're talking about the blow by blow right now. Question
0: in 20 years. Will we still be doing this or will we have been canceled? by this?
2: Oh, we were canceled oh. like two years. <laughs> this is a long time ago. My my point being is. This is this is one thing for us to be in the moment, and like and the Ukrainians to be shell shocked about this horrible tragedy which is going on there, and this the the the, the abuses. But as far as the geopolitical, yeah, uh, the, the 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 you know the, the entire chessboard changing right now. This is what I'm thinking about too, in terms of what I think this is generational mm-hmm. in terms of the overall effect of what's happening here. That was not clear to me necessarily from the beginning yeah. especially when when Biden I mean it wasn't that long ago that Biden uttered the words minor incursion yeah. you know and and I mean the, the fact that that was the beginning of it and all of a sudden it's 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 like covid no I mean it's a situation where it's it's probably uh more impactful I, I shouldn't c- compare it to COVID, but what I'm saying is this is an entire reshuffling of the game. Here. And, and, and
0: I think we've become numb to some of these international conflicts, right? right? I mean, that's the thing. They happen in faraway places. You know, you don't get a ton of news coverage. They come and go. You hear a little bit about it. You don't like it. Then you, you move on to something else. In this particular case, we're seeing real-time streaming, basically, of a war in progress and um, and, I, and I do think it's affected the emotional state, you know, of, of most people everywhere else in the world. It's certainly affected corporate strategy. You've got Netflix, McDonald's, Brown Foreman, you know. I mean, you've got all these big banks, MasterCard, MasterCard. Visa. Pepsi, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, Starbucks. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, we don't have no fly zones. We have no fry zones now. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> but, but, does that but, make a difference? Well, I, I mean, it's – to your point, when when massive – organizations like that move and do things, it obviously has a ripple effect on their employees, their consumers. So I, I do think, but I don't know what kind of a difference. You know, I ultimately don't know how that then impacts the political thinking of the leadership of the Western world.
1: It's it's probably those companies recognizing the same Feeling that we all have. We want to do something, but we don't know what to do. And that is what they're able to do. They don't see anything coming from Washington. So MasterCard can say you can't have a financial transaction in Russia.
3: Yeah, I do think it's a little bit of that of sort of like, oh, we're in this too. We can't like light up McDonald's yellow and blue. So we'll start, <laughs> you know, like uh, some of it is, I think, a little bit of kind of showmanship. But my understanding with these the sh- sanctions, especially economic sanctions, have always been to, to hurt the people enough. That the leaders sort of take notice, or that your economy cripples enough. I'm not you. sure Russia works that way. And and yeah, I, again, I, <laughs> I don't mean, know honestly. that that well, Putin would care. Which I mean, is why they, they went after the oligarchs. Granted. But they're thinking
2: the oligarchs might hire their own assassin crew, you know, to go after Putin because they care enough about their own wealth. Again, and their we're, family. we're hoping, right, for other people <laughs> to but, do. But something. to your point, I think that is. I don't know, but have we actually said that's the strategy? I mean, I mean, is, if the strategy is the fact that we want you to overthrow your government then maybe we should say that. We'll support you. I don't know. I mean, Lindsey Graham said it, came out and Mm -hmm. said Of course, he wanted a commando squad to go in and and just take out Putin. But my point being is if if the ultimate goal of sanctions is not just to punish the country but is to lower the support of the regime enough that they take matters into their own hands, I mean, maybe we need to be more clear about that.
3: Yeah, I mean, again, it will be interesting, you know, Scott sort of joked about it, not having fries and McDonald's, like those sorts of things, like it happens very quickly when you can't access your bank, when you can't, you know, when you're, well, quality, like overall quality of of life. Yeah. I mean, how long, how long are you willing to put
0: up with, with, with a a quality of life that, and if you're a young person, I mean, your entire life, you've had access to, you know, fast food and banking and internet and, you know, like you, you live a basic sort of lifestyle that's not all that different than young people other in
2: other places. I mean,
0: now all of a sudden you've been plunged back into medieval times.
2: But know? now that you have the Western world though taking this attitude toward your country, is this also risking radicalizing a whole new generation? Like radical nationalizing right. Right. national yeah. Yeah. nationalism. Yeah, because you can see uh, people also come up this is terrible, this is unfair and they're being fed the And they're you doing know, it to us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I can see it uh, I, if this was happening to our country and and we were, you know, being told a different line from our you know folks, I would certainly probably have a natural they're, impulse they're, to hate the people who are making my life difficult.
1: are a huge amount of Russians out on the streets showing a lot of bravery, you know, protesting their own There's always
2: going to be protesters. I mean, there are in this country, too, over things that maybe you and I might not agree with. I'm it's a saying. lot
1: harder to protest, I think, in yeah, Russia. Yeah. <laughs> but, what I, but you know
0: what I don't really have a handle on is <clears throat> the information flow right. to the average Russian. You know, we know what we know, and we're getting tons of real-time information. And we know what our government tells us, and we know what independent journalists have told us. What is the average Russian seeing right now about this? Are they seeing as much information? What are they being told? How is it being interpreted to them? And I'm, I'm almost sure they're getting a different interpretation of it. But are they getting enough independent information into the country... That would cause them to basically see it the way we see it, and I don't know the answer to that.
3: Yeah, I saw somebody mention this about Netflix pulling it in there, uh, pulling their services in uh, Russia, that Netflix should have started like streaming 24-7, like kind of pro-Ukrainian propaganda or something like that, as opposed to cutting off the service. Uh, I, I mean, to your point, again, I I, I don't know that we know, right, yeah. the, that – and, and so I, I, to, so, I, I the, so the whole issue of, like, we're trying
0: to incite a group of people to overthrow that. their government, well, that only works if they have the same information and have the same emotional reaction that we're is. having. But they may not. They I might know.
3: have just lo- for, think they forgot their Netflix password when know. they woke up this I know. morning. I, know you know, I mean, thought. that's unfortunate. I'll but. be
2: flagged by customs the next time I come into our country because of my YouTube watching of Russia Today. <laughs> I still watch that. I still check in on it. Wait,
0: I thought they canceled Russia Today.
2: They canceled the Russia Today in the United States. They still have an English language Russian today, which is on YouTube, and I still tune into that because I'm curious about what they're telling.
3: Bootleg? (laughs) No, no, it's
2: it's 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 based in Moscow, and they and they basically, but it's an English language about what's going on there. Well, you're giving me a look. I'm saying, I'm interested in what they're telling their people, and, and, and this is my way of being able to watch it.
0: I'd just like to tell the federal investigators who are now newly subscribing to the podcast, Thank welcome you. to the show. It's J-O-E-A-R-N-O-L-D. I'll give you his address. Just call me and know that we had nothing to do with his viewership habits or proclivities. So
1: he's actually sitting on a separate side of the table I from am.
2: the rest of us. I don't, see, here's the thing. If this goes way back in my life, is that no matter where I traveled, Across the world, across the country. Oh, I, that's
0: right. You went to
2: Russia. I did. I, stop it. I,
0: you were there I, as a young... Impressionable. Armchair. 17. Ace of spades. Is he activating? I can't tell. The winter podcaster over here may be flipping the table over in a second. Net. He's Net. the asset. He's the
3: asset. <laughs> <laughs> I always think one day up... Joe's gonna have a flip phone that rings and, it, and he's gonna close it and he's just gonna yeah, walk lady. out. Okay. Anyway, so
0: um I don't even know what's happening right now. I'm about to go red dawn on My my this point guy. being Wolverine. <laughs> I love that movie. It is awesome. <laughs> You've seen a movie.
2: That I've seen. Nice. Oh, this is the
1: Joe Arnold greatest hits. It's
2: <laughs> fantastic. Anyway, what I was about to say is no matter of where I've traveled, I always pick up the local newspaper. I always want to see what's going on in that community. Of course, yes. it's, it's hard these days to get a local newspaper. And this is my version of that today is I want to see. I've also tuned into, to, uh, you know, the, uh, France has a 24-hour news channel. Uh, Germany has a 24-hour news channel, English language. It's just very interesting to see the, their perspective and, and the context of all that. Question, in all you're watching of all this, do yes. they have
0: any pundits who are, who are as good as me? <laughs> uh, on their, like, when they have their panels. I'm just curious. There's Do they a, have, like, a version of me that's, like, the person who gets the ever-living crap kicked out of there, them? Is a, the, the- the- <laughs> there, there, there is
2: a guy on Russia Today who has a kind of a red beard, He and he seems to stare at the camera with the same kind of condescension the way you look at me. (laughs) It seems very familiar. It kind of dress. He's like, well, you know, Biden just said. I mean, it is. It is. But I do find it interesting. I'm not saying you should go look at it. I'll I'll watch it for you and I'll come back every week. No, I will not be turning any of my browsers on to the uh, Russian propaganda. It's on YouTube. So, So,
0: what are they saying? A lot of stuff's
2: on YouTube. Oh, it's just basically what I said before, which is, is that, oh, in terms of that, is that, first of all, they've said, oh, this is, you know, Russia only sells, like, only 1% of the U.S., you know, of the output is, is to U.S. I mean, this is not a big deal in yeah. the first place as far as, like, U.S. cutting us off. Um, you know, we're, we're big. We're, we're fine. We'll, we'll take care of it. You know, we're big. But they are, you know, oh, they did a big, almost like a comedy segment on one about uh, cancel culture. And about like, oh, we're so scared you're going to take away, you know, like Netflix, whatever mm-hmm. else. Or, or they, were, they were joking the fact that people were throwing, were, were pouring Russian vodka away, you know, were canceling by the way, Russian by the way, that is, singers, you know. It is kind of
0: stupid. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> <You> <laughs> know, had oh, wait, 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 wait. So you agree with the Russians? Well, no, I, wanna, oh. I wanted to bring this topic up because I knew you'd have strong feelings on it. You know, that was where it started with the vodka. Okay, whatever. But now they're like canceling, you know, Russian... Uh, operas and they're canceling the
2: oh so somebody, the, the, somebody the ballerina stopped, and the, renaming
1: with, French fries. I think it was
2: an yeah, Italian yeah, university that stopped a course in Dostoevsky. They said so we're not going to teach that anymore yeah, because yeah. it's Russian. I mean, yeah, that is. And so I, I mean, some of this is like I mean
0: I it, I think people whenever something bad happens, and I think this is true at the local level and at the geopolitical level. Everybody has an impulse. Like, I need to do something.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Now, it, never mind whether that's something is absolutely inconsequential or I'm going to call them
2: Belgian fries. Yeah,
0: I mean, it, <laughs> but but there's like this human impulse to act. Like, I want to do something. And so you run outside and you provide your vodka, or you cancel the Russian opera, or you whatever. You right. eliminate, you know, Tchaikovsky from your iTunes or whatever. I mean, you, 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 I did it. Look at me. I stood up to the Russians, you know. None of this, of course, makes a damn bit of difference. But it's like that impulse... But I, I do think we may be on the verge of like I mean didn't wasn't there a Democrat Congress wasn't it Swalwell the other day it was like let's throw the, all the Russians out of the country like I mean oh seriously I, I, I mean, hold on you he, guys talk I got to look this up because yeah. he he is like a unique okay. brand of well, moron and offers
1: a different type of communist spy to Oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh oh
2: it's towel snap night on the podcast. <laughs> While you're looking that up, though, we will talk about it. I promise oil and gas as well. And, and you know, don't forget that the price of gas was going up Oh, anyway. hold on. Sorry. Okay, Eric Swalwell talking. suggests kicking every
0: Russian student out of U.S. universities. Really? Yeah. Now. Like, temporarily? Oh. I mean, I mean I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. Like, yeah. I just, there's an impulse to do something. And then there's other people that have an impulse to, like, I got to use this to get attention for myself here. What's the craziest crap I can say to get a clip here? Because you know I've, I'm inconsequential. I'm Eric Swalwell. What can I? <laughs> what, what crazy, outrageous thing stunt do I have to pull to get in on this here? And so I, I, I don't know. To me, it's not strategic. It's not smart. It makes us look, and it gives fodder. Right. It gives fodder to the Russians to incite their people to be have feelings of pride in in their country. Right. It's like, look how stupid and evil these, these Americans are. Instead of achieving the objective you're talking about, which is to get the Russian people to essentially to see it our way, when the wells of the world pop up and act like morons, we're sort, of def- we're sort of defeating our own, you know, I think our own
2: operation. You know, I hadn't I thought about this until just now to your point. Uh, there has been some softening of support for Donald Trump among some uh, Republicans who in the past had been their, his supporters. He's, he, it's been a bridge too far for some folks. is there is there a parallel in terms of the people who are completely always Trump and and, and, and softening of that support and the people of, of Putin and, and Russia?
0: Oh man, I, I don't even know how to answer that I
2: don't I don't even
0: know how to answer that. I don't, I, I don't know what the nature of Putin that's fair is, enough. I don't know what yeah. the nature of his relationship with his He's people a
2: strong brand you know, But
0: is, he doesn't face elections. He just, that's true. I mean, Vladimir Putin has never been on a ballot in which he lost by several million votes. Like I mean, you know, he I mean, this is not the way it works. I'm not even sure you can draw that. I, I don't even know how you would even start to I feel like you're I feel a, that, like some of the stuff you saw on YouTube is leading you to have us have strange conversations.
1: There's a real casual comparison between the President of the United States and, yeah. Yeah,
2: and Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin. Uh, no, I was I was comparing the the the, the, the most uh strident um, unapologetic, um, radical followers of anyone, you know. The, but the the, the the insurrectionists, for instance, the people who stormed the Capitol. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm that, that's the kind of that's the one I'm talking about here. And I'm not talking about casual people who said I, I I pulled a lever. I'm saying I was I'm just curious. You know, but, yeah, uh,
0: why well, does I'm just not familiar enough with. Like the Russian president's, you know, political relationship with even with his strongest supporters, whoever they are, I don't, I don't know.
2: Um, but before we leave oil and gas though, and, and what happened here, I mean, I guess part of this is, has to do with, um, our own. We're we're at four twenty five in in Oof. Louisville, Kentucky.
0: Over one hundred thirty six bucks to fill up the old F one fifty the other night
2: we uh, were looking at probably four. they said at least 450 that that's not a that that seems to be right around the corner. I'm sure there's plenty of places where that is and will. us average five dollars a gallon Scott what is the because it was already inching up anyway mm. and because there was already you know the, you know gas is a commodity obviously natural gas is a commodity oil is a commodity and this is something which was already you know uh, on its way up and inflation certainly was driving a lot of this in the first place. To what extent is, is Biden going to be blamed for this, and to what extent do you think it, they're going to be able to transfer or distribute this over to the Ukraine-Russia situation? The,
0: the nakedly cynical attempt by the Biden White House to blame all of this energy price spike on the Ukrainian—I mean, they think they think people are stupid. Mm-hmm. They think people are stupid, and, they, and they're not even subtle about it. It's like, we think you're so stupid that you'll buy this garbage from us. It's absolutely true that gas prices are, I guess, going to go up some— over this conflict. But people rem- people are not stupid. And it's just like on the masks, you know. They're going to they 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 got to the point where the Democrats finally wanted to lift the mandates. And you know, you had Democrats putting out press releases saying, "We're the ones leading the country back from all the man- from the mandates and the shutdowns and lockdowns." People are going to remember more than they give them credit for. So I don't think that's going to work. Uh Biden's advisors, a lot of people in his coalition and his you know, his whole sphere of of uh, Democratic-left support. They want gas prices to go up. They want oil to be expensive. They want people to feel pain when they use fossil fuel, so they'll stop doing it. That's their strategy, is to make prices high, to do what Pete Buttigieg said this week. Well, if you don't like it, just buy an electric car. (laughs) Which was the, I mean... He's Which, by the way, from flyover country, right? It, yeah, theoretically. Um, um, so, so I, I just I don't think they're politically going to get away with it. And I think if gas is five bucks a gallon on election day, uh, the American people are going to vote about that, and it's not going to be pretty for the party
2: in power. The Energy Secretary uh, Jennifer Granholm spoke to a group of oil and gas energy folks on on Wednesday and basically told them, "You need to." pump more you need to raise output we're in an emergency we have to increase this we have to stabilize the market i did see the oil by the way went down in, in price uh today but yeah
0: well that's a different message than what we heard from joe biden back during the uh back during his uh oh that's that, right we got that sound jared that was, i mean that, that is this is the, the bernie sanders debate right yeah that's exactly right all
2: right this,
3: number one no more subsidies for fossil fuel industry. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore.
0: No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. Ends. I mean,
1: this is April nope. of
2: 2020, but, so this right. uh, was just two years ago next month.
1: She looked those guys in the face and said, you're terrible, evil, horrible humans, but you need to be doing more terrible, evil, horrible things.
0: Yeah, and at the same time, Biden, who has been an enemy of domestic production since he became the president and was an enemy of it during his campaign is out saying, and all for climate change, right. is out also simultaneously saying, well, we're not going to drill here. and We're not going to have more production here, but we'll have more in Venezuela and we'll get more out of Saudi Arabia. We'll get more out of Iran as though drilling for oil there is any better for the climate or whatever than it is drilling here. I think people see all of this and they think, The absolute lack of common sense will drive people crazy. And people don't like to be treated like they're stupid. But that's exactly how Biden is treating them on the contradictory nature and the cynical nature of what they're telling the American people about energy policy and gas prices and why it's happening right now.
2: And by the way, energy is not just uh, oil and gas for vehicles. This is also your electric bill uh, that you get as well and the natural gas, which is, of course, all the uh, power companies were told to stop... Using coal because how terrible that is, and so many of them went to natural gas that, that was didn't have as many carbon emissions. It burned a little cleaner, so they went to that. And then suddenly you don't have the same kind of energy security as what you had before. My question though, at the same, the difference of course with with the electric bill and your uh, your fuel you get for your truck, Scott, is you buy the gas immediately when you fill your truck, and with the electric bill you get that bill about a month and a half after you've used it, and you end up transferring your uh, your are disgust away from the the reason for it, which is the U.S. policy, and more toward the person whose name is on the bill. I mean, to, are you blaming Shell, BP, you know, in this area, Thornton? Are you blaming them for the price of gas? Or who do you blame when you fill your truck?
0: I blame the I blame the any politician who has tried to limit domestic production of energy, because I know how much energy we have. In the United States, we got more oil in Anwar than they got in Saudi Arabia. So I blame people who have an attitude that says America should not be energy independent, that America should be dependent on despotic regimes. And when we get into a global crisis like we're in right now, we're behind the eight ball because of those policies. That's who I blame. Now, does the average person see it that way? Maybe they're not as political as me. Maybe they don't think of it in those terms. But I I do think most people know this. The United States of America in the recent past was energy independent and gas prices were low, and they connected those two things. Now there is a view that we're not energy independent, that we are dependent upon despotic regimes, and now gas all of a sudden costs twice as much as it did.
3: Yeah, even Senator Manchin made this point this week when pressed on this that if we're going to ramp up production, we should do it in the United States, not just be some sort of America first policy. There's nobody who does it safer and cleaner than us. Yes. Period. Right. And good by point. the way, and yeah, by the, the way, Russia, yeah. our ahead. allies mm-hmm. who did an even dumber thing than we did by
0: getting even closer and more dependent upon Russia for their energy needs, they need another supplier. Mm-hmm. So just as a matter of good business, not only should we be independent for ourselves, but we should be sending this energy... Around the world, so that we can get people and separate them from Russia and the other despotic regimes.
1: And just the smugness coming from the White House when they talk about this. The press secretary, um, Jen Psaki, when was asked a question about should we have more, you know, domestic drilling, she said there are all these leases out there. Why aren't the Let's... oil companies drilling for oil?
2: Let's check in with Jen, Jen Psaki at the White House, and when she was asked about the uh, the, the lack of. Of drilling going on right now for energy independence in the United States. Additional well, permits. So, would the president. What additional permits do they need? There's no. The, they have. The leases are there. The permits are there. I don't think they need an embroidered invitation to drill. That is their oil companies.
0: She, she knows. Well, the, the, the duplicitousness and cynical statements coming out of the White House on how much energy has been produced and when, what she said, Kevin. I mean, it's. It's it's pretty darn raw,
1: and, and they know how much red tape they have bound up around this whole process. It's not like somebody can just go start drilling tomorrow. Build they, they, a well
3: in your backyard, so
1: right? Yeah. They, they have they have taken these to court. They have shut down entire programs. They have made it impossible on
0: day one. They stopped the Keystone XL pipeline. But what people have forgotten is that that was part of a pack <clears throat> a package to reverse more than 100 Trump era energy pause. It was right. just one right. of a, a bunch right. of things. And so the fact that they're acting like, "Hey, it's a free country, you can do whatever you want." That's just simply not true. The Biden administration has been desperately trying to stop federal leases that were approved during the Trump years in the Gulf of Mexico, in fact, just the other day they were in court saying, "Yeah, we don't want to we don't want to do this anymore." So there is absolutely an attitude and a policy position that puts an anvil an anvil on the domestic production in the United States, and people know it. And they're proud of it. People know it. They ran on it. Most of the time time they're not hiding it, it. but now that everybody's paying more at the public. And so I just just think they're depending on people being stupid, and I don't think people
2: are stupid. The Keystone Pipeline certainly can't open up tomorrow and, and solve this, but back to my original point on the fact that the entire chessboard has changed, we have to be prepared and begin now. Adjusting, pivoting, and making ourselves energy independent—even if it takes another six months or a year—I'd rather that we make that decision now and not be wondering what to do you know, later on.
1: Even the Venezuelan oil would take eight months to get here. Why? Right. Why are we so doing so anything? So make with those, those steps
2: now. The question is: does, So Scott, with all of the political. Uh, Predictions, and I heard some. I heard Dave Wasserman this week, and and uh, the uh, yeah. some remarks and talking about you know the 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 change. Certainly, it's almost guaranteed as far as he's concerned, as far as the Republicans taking over the House, and and likely in his opinion that the Republicans would take over the the Senate. There's a, although he he says never never underestimate Republicans' ability to screw things up in in a midterm election, especially in the Senate side. Yeah. But that said, does from a policy perspective. Does this election change Democrats' approach, Joe Biden's approach, Kamala Harris's approach to any of this?
0: No. I, I mean, I would like to think that a good ass-kicking would, like, you know, get their minds right on these things. but but How, will, how will
2: they adjust? I mean, given the fact this is pretty much written, I mean, will there be any adjustment at all?
0: They, I, I think one thing we've learned from Joe Biden, who was supposedly the moderate deal-making, you know, throwback Democrat, is just how strong— the progressive uh, zealots are in the Democratic Party. I mean, for them, climate change is a religion. They go after this issue with with, the, with such zeal. It's like a religion for them, and they're not going to lay down their religion just because they lost an election. And they're going to demand that their next presidential nominee, whether it's Joe Biden or somebody else, not just stick with it, but get more aggressive with it. And so, no, I, I mean, no, they, they won't change a thing. They're they not interested in changing. They don't see the utility in changing. And, uh, and and I think it'll be as big a part of their platform moving forward, if not bigger than it has been in the past.
2: While we've been recording this podcast on uh, Wednesday night, March 9th, it's now almost 10.30. It's been a long podcast, guys. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, uh, is The U.S. House has passed the defense and homeland security portions of the $1.5 trillion omnibus spending package, which includes Defense aid to Ukraine, uh, as well as other things. What-
0: we should not dwell on this because it's complicated. It's going to you know, okay. unfold. But I will just say one thing. I'm glad you brought it up. The United States House under Nancy Pelosi
2: is a complete and total mess. Look at the clips on this. Even Democrat members. Well, they were upset because Republicans basically were saying you had to pay for this and you have to have some offsets. And the fact that the, the American Rescue Plan, they have all this unspent money. Before yes. you go and you tax people more, spend the money you've already appropriated right but just and they, they got very upset by that but just procedurally and the way this is yeah, yeah. unfolded oh, her old you know is a
0: i message. mean i mean nancy pelosi the supposed master yes. legislator the supposed genius of the congress this chamber is a friggin circus it's being run like a circus and now we're up against these deadlines and things are happening in the dead of night it ain't republicans folks it's the Democrats, and it's Pelosi specifically. We
1: dropped a 2,700-page bill at 1230 last night. Oh. Wanted to pass it through the entire House today.
2: Uh,
3: with, well, you with pass it, then you figure out what's in it. Yeah, a a razor-thin razor
1: margin.
2: Yeah. Speaking of deadlines.
0: <laughs> oh, boy. It's, uh, yeah, I, we got to talk about it.
2: Yeah. We do. So the, the, the deadline was moved. It was Major League Baseball and oh, the Major wow. League Baseball Players Association, who neither of them love baseball. <laughs> they all they no they don't they don't they don't care about the sport they don't care about the game they don't care about the franchise they don't care about any of it they only care about their short-sighted concerns for their own way to carve up a shrinking pie and a pox on all of their houses and i it it, it is it is sad because they can't see beyond their own stupid short-sighted goals they don't understand that you're basically it's it, it's like it's like sawing the uh, the I don't know the the foundation off of your house to, to I mean, the, the the pillars of your of your uh, beach house to use for firewood. I mean, it just, it's just that's a dumb analogy. But I'm just saying. <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> by the way, you should see how vibratingly angry Joe is right now. I am. But I'm saying is it is is the, the, the fact though that that I think th- this is an echo chamber type situation where they talk amongst themselves. They're they're in these negotiations and and they they quibble over like again this this, this shrinking pie. Not understanding that ultimately here's the here's the, uh, the 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 ultimate result of this is this. I've been watching baseball for most of my fifty five years on this planet. I love baseball. I love the game. I'm I'm, a, I'm afraid that I love it sort of like um, you know you, you you love someone like a musician who's passed away. Like I was you know I was a big Beatles fan. You know the Beatles don't aren't around anymore. But you listen to their records. You go back and you kind of enjoy it. It's nostalgic. But they're not making any new music, right? So this is baseball. Baseball was a great sport. Baseball was a wonderful thing to enjoy and I'm I'm, I'm but they're killing it.
0: Yeah, it's um it's really disappointing and um, and then they're trying to tweak the like they put out these announcements like well we've agreed to make the bases larger. <laughs> and we've agreed to, like okay, but I don't need larger bases if there are no games going on. <laughs> I mean like some of these things don't right. make any sense to me and maybe by the time this thing gets posted They'll have it work. There, I know there was some some discussion of it tonight, but this is it's beyond disappointing because uh, I look forward to every spring. I think I almost like spring training more than I <laughs> I like some parts <laughs> of the season some years because I just love Hope. I just love when the the guys get back together and 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 uh, I love going down there and you can get so close to them and hear those mitts popping and and uh, you know Joe and I have been to spring training and you get right up on the fence and you hear those bats cracking in in their uh in their hitting sessions there i mean it's just that whole soundtrack of the beginning of renewal uh you know you know the, the the birds are chirping the the trees are starting to sprout leaves the guys are back to play baseball and you take that away and it and it does change it does change the character of the year for me because of how much of a of a running soundtrack that is in my life and uh, i know it's not that way for non-baseball fans but for those of us who have spent every year of our lives with the game in some way um it's um I'm, I'm a little i'm a little in mourning about it right now
2: i'm gonna have to flip from my youtube russia today network and watch some <laughs> youtube old games what I'm, i mean it's what i did during the COVID. I mean, I brought you over. when I got my new my, my new TV in the we basement. We did. We did watch Game Six <laughs> of the World Series, the, the in 2011 to a World know, Series. We watched yeah. the entire thing as as it was uh, broadcast live. It was it's just amazing. But anyway, it it, it is just. A, do you agree with me, Jared, that neither the owners or the players love baseball?
3: It does feel like, and and maybe Manfred kind of stole a, a page out of Biden's book here. That like they <laughs> didn't start talking to like the eleventh hour. That I mean, he comes out and does the press conference. He actually pull the uh, Kamala and started laughing. I mean, it was just, it's, <laughs> no. at some point, you, both of them just have to say, like, we want to play the season. And also, like, read the room, guys. Come on, like, <laughs> Now, I will, a bit of yeah. I will we say, I think,
0: I think three of us on this podcast are desperate for baseball to start. Kevin may actually, as a Reds fan, want them to go ahead and cancel and kill baseball <laughs> to just eliminate the misery of They're still tied your... for first.
1: <laughs> now that the Bengals have done so well, Cincinnati's got a lot of hope, I think it immediately uh, translates to the the Reds are going to be great this year.
0: <laughs> I mean, at least Joe and I and Jared, we've experienced some amount of success <laughs> during oh, our natural lives. You, I mean, do you remember... Like how old? Do you remember the ninety? You don't remember the ninety
3: Reds, obviously.
1: No, I was born in ninety three.
3: Oh. Oh, oh boy. Well, I have had a lot of success at your all's expense. Actually, in, true. you're fired. Two thousand, two I was, a, I was a
2: both of those World Series. Red Sox over the Cardinals. Thank really? you. Really? Okay. Was.
3: I was in Boston for twenty thirteen. I was on Lansdowne Street. A bunch of people. That get stabbed by a uh, not stabbed, but uh, police oh, no. officer <laughs> jab you know, me. Absolutely, <laughs> gotta love Boston. Oh, yeah, love yeah, that. man, right. <laughs> yeah, I never forget. Men. Remember getting stabbed? No, it's, it, it, you're, that's sick. It was. Uh, it was a fun night. Yeah, Koji Urahara. I remember when that that final pitch came in fireworks. Probably. Cardinals were good. No four. I mean, oh, they were the best team in baseball. They, were, they, this, they, they, they
2: flamed out there in the, in the postseason. Yeah. Anyway, a, a pox in all your houses. Uh, Dick Durbin, by the way, of Illinois, the Democrat, is calling now for the serious congressional inquiry into removing the antitrust exemption on baseball. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. I mean, beyond everything else, this is like economic sanctions, is you have—no, <laughs> I'm serious. You, you have, uh, you know, whole industries— and people's livelihoods that are based upon this. Well, that,
0: I worry about that because you've got the downstream effect of right. you know everybody who works at a stadium, right. all the people in the front offices, all the people who the poor announcers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but you know, like the people who are just the ushers, you know, that, yeah. that do it for a summer and job.
1: All the restaurants around the you know the people.
0: That,
2: the, yes, yeah. all the small businesses right. That, right. that sort of feed into it. You know, and, the, and 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 public entities have invested in these kind of things. And oh the, and, and yeah, the, and taxpayers. The taxpayers in, are invested in infrastructure this. here. So this is not just them screwing around with. I don't want this. I want. This. I mean, this. They, they they can't see beyond their own, you know, short sighted aims. Yeah, it's uh, it's an ugly situation. Let's uh, let's pray for a, a resolution. That's the beginning of my scene, red Herd, because I just I, I'm I'm reading my own tweets on it. And now I, you already did it. You've seen I, Russia today. That's what you see. <laughs> <laughs> What's your scene, red hurt's Scott?
0: <laughs> I've got two actually. I went and saw the Batman.
2: Nice. Oh,
0: uh, no, uh, no spoilers. I'm not going to okay. spoil it. I will just say this. Wears a black suit. I will uh, just—ears pointy. Uh, I will just say this. Um, It's very dark, and I don't mean the story is dark. I mean it's literally dark. Like, climate change has happened to Gotham because the sun has been blotted out, and and the government has banned bright light bulbs. In whatever universe they're living in, you can't see anything. It's dark. And, by the way, it's raining. The entire movie, it's raining in Gotham. So so
2: your eyes have to— do a drastic adjustment to be able to watch this movie. I mean,
0: like halfway through the movie, I had my phone out. I just turned the light on. I was like holding it up to the <laughs> screen. I was, I was literally like, that I can't, sense. I can't see, I can't see what, ba- I can't see whose ass is being kicked. <laughs> I just, it's crazy. Doesn't, That's one. Doesn't work that way. Second, well, what other choices did I have? Second, today, today, uh-huh. Disney Plus. Oh.
3: I killed Joe's mic here for the segment.
0: Disney Plus <laughs> dropped the Obi Wan Kenobi oh, teaser trailer.
3: Fantastic.
0: Teaser trailer. Let me Google that. <laughs> I've watched it 20 times this afternoon and I could not be more excited. It Comes out May 25th. Yep. So so I'm very excited about that. I don't know if you guys have watched it, but that's what I very saw. Cool. Yep.
3: Uh, yeah. I, I was just going to add on to that quickly, uh, Scott. We have hope so much for like world-building in these Disneys. We've had a lot of Tatooine mm-hmm. in these last couple of seasons. It looks like Obi-Wan's going to be on a lot of different planets. The Grand Inquisitor's on there. Again, if you haven't watched like Clone oh, Wars yeah. and, and those sorts of things, watch those. It looks phenomenal. Joe, like the Grand in- Inquisitor is
0: not a game show host <laughs> in the Star Wars universe. He's actually a bad person. Ah, he doesn't host a trivia night or How any. do you pronounce the first name of the actor who plays Obi-Wan? Ewan. Is it Ewan? Ewan McGregor. Yeah, yeah. Oh Wait, well, he's the current. Sir Alec uh, McGinnis yeah yeah
2: I know him yeah mm-hmm. yeah', yeah was I'm the good. old yeah. 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 Anyway. by the way on a side note before we get to um, uh, Kevin's scene red herd I have a 15 year old son who had a friend over over the weekend and his friend they were, they were talking and the friend realized that my son had never seen Star Wars and said you got to be kidding me so they <laughs> so they watched it did they like it he liked it
0: see yeah.
2: did they watch which episode did they watch I, like the first yeah. episode four I don't why, you, why would the first episode be episode four? The first three were episodes right, four, four five, and <laughs> <laughs> six. Did you walk in up. and <laughs> just start shouting exactly. and say, not in my house? <laughs> I was out of town at the convention, so yeah. they couldn't prevent it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But I'm just saying, history kind of repeating itself. Oh, man. I'm glad he liked
1: it. Go ahead, Kevin. Uh, mine is also about my son, who's uh, two and a half, seen a movie for the first time. He was yeah. home homesick from daycare, and we watched The Lion
0: King. Oh, For the wait. First time. Original the or new? Original nude? Lion King. Original. That's got a dark moment.
1: It, it does. We've been reading some books, so we kind of knew the plot lines. Mm, um, interesting. The, we, I've now watched it three times in as many days. He knows the songs. It's amazing. Circle of Life. Yeah. Jake Raw.
3: So, uh piece in Real Clear Policy this week from Jamie Gass from the Pioneer Institute, which is a public policy think tank in Boston, called Civics Education is More Important. Uh, now than ever we have talked around this a little bit about Mm -hmm. like uh people kind of not understanding the situations and these sorts of things it talks about uh public school systems kind of creating like these social justice warriors and these like kind of you know right wing fanatics with their civics education really really super important piece if you care about education and like the literally building the next generation uh people who can have conversations like this and not be so ideologically you know built into one uh, framework. Really good piece, really good research from the Pioneer Institute on civics education.
2: That will do it for this week's edition of Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Thanks to Jared Crawford, Kevin Grout, I'm Joe Arnold. Scott, take us home. Thanks for being with us this week on Flyover Country. Uh, we've got a great
0: guest coming up. We are interviewing this week Mr. Bruce Melman, who you may have heard of. He's a Beltway guy, but he writes these really, really interesting memos. And about once a quarter, and they've kind of taken on a life of their own, but I find his political insights is sort of where po- politics and corporate uh, stuff meets. I, th- I find his insights to be really intriguing. I've known him for many, many years. Great guy. I'm going to interview him, and we'll get that out to you. And then hopefully someday baseball will start. We'll finally have our baseball episode. We're going to have to do uh, – probably going to do a March Madness bracket mm-hmm. episode uh, coming up, uh, but we're really grateful here at the podcast for everybody who's listening And engaging with the show. And uh, can't thank you enough for joining us and being with us out
2: here in Flyover Country with Scott Jennings.
0: Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab coming to you from the heart of middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast.